Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Sekou Smith here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann's in New Jersey. John Hartzell's behind the glass. And in a special twist... We're coming to you on Wednesday as opposed to Thursday this week. Our man Sean Powell from NBA.com, our West Coast Bureau Chief, just happens to be in the vicinity, has a few minutes for us to talk all things NBA, but specifically the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, And we've been wanting to talk about them. We spent so much time, you know, on that other team in L.A. We figured, why not the Clippers, the Western Conference race, and maybe dig a little bit on this 2019 rookie class of which the Clippers have a couple of guys who are on that hot list. But first, guys, we do need to mention D'Angelo Russell and his unbelievable performance Tuesday night in that comeback win for the Brooklyn Nets. I, I know we all have, you know, revisionist history sometimes about what goes down in this league. But, man, is there is there a, a decision that looks more head-scratching right now than, than giving up on D'Angelo Russell so early in his Lakers tenure and, and getting him out of town for the great Lonzo Ball? And now Russell is a – an all-star and a bona fide, legitimate starting point guard in this league? Well, I'll start with that, Sekou. I think we got to keep it into the proper context. Yes, of course. I mean, it's uh, it's been fantastic for Brooklyn. It's been great for D'Angelo. It's been good for just basketball fans to see a young talent who was really given up on uh, really flourish in a, new, in a new spot. And right now, you could argue that he might be the best basketball player in New York. Now, that doesn't say much because right now the Knicks are struggling, but uh, it's been all good for Brooklyn. It's been all good for D'Angelo. However, keep in mind that the Lakers had to clear some cap space to get LeBron James, possibly get some other people. And they had a, a big clump of coal on that salary cap called Timothy Moskov. And so they had to package an asset in order to get rid of Moskov. And D'Angelo Russell was that asset. And at the time, he was devalued because, number one, you had some off-court drama with him. Uh, He probably, for the most part, lost the locker room uh, because of his antics, his immaturity. I think also that Magic Johnson lost faith in him. Uh, His play was inconsistent. And yes, he was only, what, 19, 20 years old. You have to show some patience with players like that. But the Lakers also had the number two pick, and they felt Lonzo Ball would probably give him just as much. And by the way, the jury's still out on Lonzo Ball. I'm not saying he's going to come in and light up uh, the Sacramento Kings for 24 points in the fourth quarter and lead a big comeback. But Lonzo Ball is still a pretty good player. Uh, He really hasn't had the chance. He's had some injuries. And next year, we'll really tell. I think it's too early, basically, to 
to determine whether or not the Lakers really blew it because we have to see what they do with that cap space and we have to see how Lonzo Ball is going to turn out. They also got the pick that became Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma, exactly. So is it more about D'Angelo Russell and the Nets and and just what a good fit that's been and Kenny Atkinson and how he's developed him? I mean, is this instead of – wringing our hands about what somebody else didn't do? Is this more about what Russell has done, the maturity, and then the, the landing spot and infrastructure available that the Nets provided? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's another, you know, they've got he's, – he's one of several players that they've brought in as sort of second-chance players and have turned into very good rotation players. When you talk about Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie, all those guys have come in – and developed and have just become much, much better players with Brooklyn than they were anywhere else. And so you give the Nets kudos, one, for finding those guys, and then two, for developing those guys, and then also give credit to those guys themselves for, you know, developing themselves. Russell still confounds me a little bit, you know, as a as a guy who does not get to the basket very often, does not get to the free throw line a lot, uh, very often. His shot making has obviously improved dramatically this season. But even now, like, he's still below the league average as far as effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage. So he's not the most efficient scorer in the league whatsoever. His passing is, is great. It's terrific. Um, he, he actually is near the high, top of the league uh, among like high usage guys and in, in assist to turnover ratio. But that's what's, what it was crazy a bit, a little bit about last night is, is he had, he was getting to the basket in that fourth quarter. Like he, I've never seen him do before. Um, you know, he is, he is a guy that doesn't have a ton of burst. Like he has, when he he gets isolated against the big guy um he struggles to get around him but he was he was they were running pick and rolls and he was attacking Nemanja Bjelica a lot and getting to the basket more than I've ever seen in fact he had four restricted area buckets in the fourth quarter and previously in his career he had only 18 games where he had at least four restricted area buckets out of 262 in his career. So the guy does not get to the basket, but he was doing it last night. So it was kind of a new, something new really. And then obviously he was hitting some threes as well in that, in that fourth quarter. That's, I mean, the Nets needed that win desperately after losing their first three games on the trip. And given their remaining schedule, they needed that one bad. And, and it looked, I mean, they were down 28 and yeah, to come back that's um you know if they if if they make the playoffs that will be a signature win for sure yeah huge huge comeback win over the Pacers for the Nets ends a three-game losing streak and and like you said if it turns out that they make the postseason we can look back on that comeback and and that wild finish of which they've had many um, <laughs> this season yeah, if they miss the, if they miss the playoff by one game, then we'll we'll have a couple of games they could point to. Also. <laughs> from from one surprise team on the Eastern Conference side to their soulmates in the West, Sean, and and I don't know how else to frame what the Clippers have done this season, other than to say it's a complete surprise. You know, even at this late stage of the season, to see Doc Rivers have that bunch in in the space that they're in is pretty impressive, Doc before the game, put to bed this this rumor that there's some dance, you know, looming between he and the Lakers. He's He is sticking with the Clippers. He and Steve Ballmer will, con, you know, I guess announce whenever the deal is done on the new contract extension, he's going to sign. They're 41 and 30 on the season, just two games out of the number four seed in the West. Sean, when you were dispatched to L.A., did you ever imagine that we'd look up in mid-March 
And one team would be completely out of the playoff picture, basically, and the other would be potentially fighting for a number four seed, and that it would be this team and not the other one? Well, I wish I had the same foresight as Patrick Beverly. You know, in training camp, there was a big mob at the Laker training camp. And uh, at the Clippers, I think there were, I think it was like one ball boy and maybe a student reporter from USC or UCLA or something <laughs> like that. And, 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 and that was it. And so Patrick Beverly looked around and said, you know what? Where is everybody? We're the best team in L.A. Where is everybody? And uh, so he kind of rubbed it in everyone's face when they beat the Lakers uh, a couple weeks ago and was saying, you know, where are you all at? You know, I looked around, you know, I looked at uh, Tobias, Tobias Harris next to me. I said, where's everybody at? You know, I didn't interview anybody. Nobody interviewed me. And we're the best team in L.A. And you know what? He's right for now anyway. Um, but, you know, I think a turning point for this Clipper team was not this season. I think it was a couple years ago when uh, Doc Rivers was stripped of his uh, personnel duties. And, and by the way, I think it was the best thing to happen not only to the Clippers, but to Doc Rivers. Uh, now, he doesn't feel the burden of trying to build a team, uh, which he was unable to do during Lob City. Uh, now, you know, the team is in good hands. Launch Frank has done a good job. Uh, and if you've got, of course, you got the logo, Jerry West helping out as an advisor. And Doc is really just left to coach basketball. That's what he does best. He coaches. And so I think we're seeing probably the best of Doc Rivers, all things considered, be able to motivate a team not only all season long, not only in the shadows of LeBron James and the Lakers, but after the trade deadline when he lost Tobias Harris. And he really didn't have a superstar, not that Tobias Harris was a superstar, but he was a guy who can get, he was a consistent guy who can get you 20, 22 points every night, very reliable, helps you win games. And he didn't have that anymore. And so he had to fill that by committee. Uh, I think Doc has done a tremendous job. I think the Clipper organization has done a good job, not just Doc Rivers, but the front office, uh, ownership, and, of course, the players. And Patrick Beverly has been a big-time spark for this team just to make sure that they're all on the same page and that they're all – when they show up to a game, they're out to win. They don't care about, you know, losing that draft pick to the Boston Celtics, which they will do if they um, – make the playoffs, which it looks like they will make the playoffs. They're about trying to build a culture here. And they're in great position, by the way. This is a team that has, what, about four or five players who are all on team-friendly contracts, hard workers, going into next season. They've got those players. They've got cap space. They've got Doc Rivers as a coach. They've got a guy who's worth a gazillion dollars as an owner in Steve Ballmer. They've got a good front office. And they also have all the charms of Los Angeles if a player wants to, you know, play and live in L.A., the same charms that the Lakers have. So I think what we're seeing from the, from the, from the Clippers right now, it's all good heading into the summer. Uh, no one believes they're going to be a mainstay in the playoffs this year, but that's okay. The victory has already been won. They've already established themselves. And now let's see what happens this summer when it's time to make a trade or splurge into free agency. It's funny, we're talking about these two teams. I think the one player that these two teams are going to be competing over is Kawhi Leonard. The Nets and the Clippers, I think, uh, probably have him both at the top. They both have him at the top of their list in free agency this year. Obviously, he's been linked to the Clippers quite a bit, but Brooklyn has a lot of San Antonio personnel in their front office and coaching staff and all that. And I think uh, they are in desperate need of a forward. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see these two teams and the good stories that they are compete for that one guy. And 
not, and I'm not excluding Toronto from that conversation as well. Obviously, if he if he feels happy there and they do, um, and they can make a run to the conference finals or the finals, then he has to c- consider staying. Of course. Yeah, and you know you, you're right about that shoe. I think um, he'll have some some options. I think with the Clippers, number one, they've got to target that free agent that they want, and obviously that's going to be you know a, a, an A-list free agent, someone who's going to come in and you know and really spark the team but they also have to figure out whether or not they can get a second player either through a trade or free agency they've got the money to spend they've got a a motivated owner with a lot of money uh they've got a good good coach they've got the pieces there if they can possibly find a taker for Danilo Gallinari's contract which I believe he's going to be making 22 23 million dollars next year and by the way he's playing very well so he might not be that hard to trade uh, then it could open up even more money for the Clippers. It's going to be a very interesting arms race in Los Angeles between the two basketball teams. Sean, do you do you feel like Gallinari is a guy that no matter how well he played this year, he wasn't going to be a part of their long-term plan? I mean, I, I know they got some guys in supporting roles who they feel are staples, you know, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, some of those young guys. But when they traded Tobias Harris, that that made me think, okay, they've they've got an idea of who they feel could be their frontline talent, and and guys like Tobias and Gallinari are maybe on the second tier of what they're looking for. Like they're they're clearly targeting A list superstars for the Clippers. Absolutely, um, I think Gallinari is a fallback plan if they can't get, you know, two. A-list lead singer type free agents, and they'll probably have the room for definitely for one, maybe two. Then he's the fallback plan because again, Gallo can he can he can score. He's going to get you 18 to 20 points. So you're okay with that. Maybe he has some shortcomings in some other areas, but you can live with that. But I think the grand plan for the Clippers is a swing for the fences. Uh, they have again a supporting cast that's on team friendly contracts and and that allows them to not only be a big sell to free agents say hey you know what we're not in a rebuilding mode you're going to come here and you're already going to have a team ready to go you're going to have the pieces around you you know uh, veterans around you young up and coming players around you that will help you win right now and also help you win two, three, four years down the road, the the duration of your contract. And you've got Jerry West in your front office. He's going to make the right moves. He's even going to make some some moves that may not be popular. Look, he traded Blake Griffin, what, about five minutes after they gave him the contract extension. How'd that turn out so far? So I think they have the pieces in place, and now you just have to get away from that Clipper stigma. That's really the only battle this team is waging this summer, just getting rid of that so-called stigma, which you argue was probably erased in Lob City. But once LeBron came to town, then all of a sudden, you know, it's still a Laker town with, the, the, you know, the game's best player, at least for now, uh, in town. And he's also trying to sell that team on free agents. Sean, if you have to look at the most effective way for the Clippers to proceed, we heard Magic Johnson talk about it being a, a two, you know, a two summer operation for, for the Lakers, for the Clippers. Is this a swing for the fences this summer or bust situation, or is this more of a methodical approach in terms of you, you take care of one piece of that plan this summer, given the fact that they're already in the playoffs and it's not like you're digging out of a lottery. And maybe if you don't get what you want on, you know, on each component of your list, maybe you wait 
until the trade deadline or into the season, whatever, and save some of those chips for the future because you are building the, to trying to make this a sustainable thing for the Clippers. It's not about just one big whack. You you want to be a playoff team for years to come. Do you do you take a more measured approach if you're the Clippers if things don't go according to plan this summer? That's a good question, Sekou, and it, it, it's, a, it's a tricky one as well. I think you swing for the fences if someone throws you a nice 70 miles per hour fastball right down the plate. And by that, I mean, you know, if you can get Kawhi Leonard and a Jimmy Butler, then you go for it. Okay. Because again, you've got the pieces in place. But that said, it's not like some of your supporting cast are going to be facing big money contract decisions a year from now. In other words, this time in the summer of 2020, you'll still have Shea Gildas Alexander on a team friendly contract, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams. You know, it'll still allow you to sign a free agent in the summer of 2020 who could also help you. By the way, if they were to get a guy like Kawhi Leonard this summer, you know, you're going to give him a four or five-year contract. Uh, he's not an old, he, he's not in the same situation as LeBron James. He's not in the twilight of his career. So you can take the approach where, yeah, we're going to try to win now, but if we can't get all the help that we need this summer, uh, Kawhi Leonard is not getting ready to fall off the edge of the cliff. You know, we can continue to try to sustain this and take a measured approach and Time it's aware that maybe there's another free agent we can get in the summer of 2020. Off the top of my head, I don't know who's going to be available, who might want to play for the Clippers. Then you can go for that, too. You know, the Clippers right now have assets. They can have assets to keep, assets to trade. There are a lot of players on this team with team-friendly contracts who would be gold on other teams because they simply don't cost a lot of money. So if you need to move some pieces around to strike in the summer of 2020, you can do that with this team. That's the beauty of the Clippers right now. They have good contracts and they have cap flexibility. Sean, I'm wondering if the – and this is probably sounds crazy with all of the the stars, the, the teams, and everything else in L.A. Is the city of Los Angeles prepared for the arms race between the Lakers and Clippers that could ensue this summer and continue for years to come? Like, are the collective bridges big enough in that city for Clipper Daryl and Laker Nation to coexist in a competitive state for once and in, in for all, like when both of them are actively competing for space in the Western Conference playoff chase year after year? Thank you. I think L.A. is and probably will always be a Laker town, uh, just as, you know, maybe some New Yorkers may not want to hear this, but it's a it's a Yankees town, not necessarily a Mets town. The Lakers have what the, what the Yankees have. They have the rich history, the tradition, the allure. Also keep in mind that the Clippers' popularity is pretty much localized and regional. The Lakers are worldwide, and that's why they have the, the bigger clout. They also have, for now, they have LeBron James, so they're going to be a lightning rod. No matter what the Clippers do, this summer, it's still going to be all about the Lakers, whether the Lakers succeed or fail. That will still be the bigger news in town, no matter what the Clippers. And let, let me just ask you another question. What mm-hmm. would be bigger if a free agent came to Los Angeles and led the Lakers to a championship or the Clippers to a championship? <laughs> what do you think would resonate more in the city of L.A.? What, what would carry the, the, the heavier weight? I, I, I pose that question to you. That's a great question, Sean. And I think there's no doubt that the Lakers, given their history, would, would be the one that makes the most profound impact. But you know what I thought about? The the thing that could literally shake the earth in L.A. is if they had a summer 
and it's been rumored, so it's not like I'm speaking something out of the blue here, but if they were to get two marquee free agents, say they get a Kawhi Leonard and a, and a Kevin Durant, just for you know, sake of hypothetics, if they were to get two guys of that ilk, Sean, and they were to vault past the Lakers considerably in terms of readiness to compete for a championship. I don't know. I, I, I would be stunned to, to see how the smothering of the Lakers' influence on that city would react to, to the Clippers being so far along the way in terms of supremacy in that town. Because I remember when the Lob City Clippers were rocking and rolling and the Lakers were falling out of the playoffs and, and kind of in the twilight of Kobe Bryant's you know, era, there was no sense of the Clippers are taking over this city. Like, even with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre, all the excitement, the playoff, you know, energy they were generating, the fact that they were, at one point, it was a, it was a flip of a coin who was getting ready to be the power in the West between them and the, and the Warriors. And there was still not a considerable buzz about the Clippers compared to the fact that the Lakers were getting all the attention. So I, I, while I think the Lakers winning a title – with a with a with an imported free agent alongside LeBron would certainly be the 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 more momentous occasion for the bulk of the Southland. I'm well aware that the Clippers need they need those superstar additions to even get in the conversation about winning a championship, Sean. But if they were to win a title, that would be the complete turnaround from from a doormat and from where they were even when Steve Ballmer bought that team. If they were to complete that reinvention of the franchise to a championship level within this short amount of time, that would be one of the greatest stories the league's ever seen and one of the greatest stories in American sports. Well, it would certainly be remarkable, Sekou. I just want to add, uh, amplify a couple things, a couple points you just made. Uh, the Lakers obviously were down when Lob City was up. But the one thing I thought the Clippers were missing in that equation, other than obviously they never even made a Western Conference final, is that as good as Chris Paul was and as good as Blake Griffin was, neither of those two were what I would consider sort of larger than the game larger than life. You know, there are only maybe about four or five basketball players on earth who are larger than life. And one is about to come in through the, uh, through the draft this summer. I think, and I I, I think if the Clippers were to get that player, you know, he's going to be there for years. Just a transcendent type player. Yeah. Transcendent. If the Clippers were to get a transcendent player, Mm -hmm. get their own Kobe Bryant for example, then I think the tables turn a little bit. Look, if the Clippers get Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard, okay. And they win 55, 60 games. Okay. All right. (laughs) That's nice. But if, you know, I think it's just sort of like Lob City too. Okay. If they were to get a Kevin Durant, then that's a little bit different because now you're talking about someone who's in the MVP conversation every year. Mm. He's still in his prime. And he's got enough of a fascination about him that might catapult the Clippers beyond just being another really good team in the NBA. And I think that that would give him something over the Lakers, particularly if LeBron James slips another notch next year. Right. You you know what's strange, too, about the Lakers, Sean? And I don't know if people understand this about the complexity of L.A. sports fandom. They had a team go to the Super Bowl this year in Los Angeles. And it's like it never happened because you spend so much time talking about the Lakers on a daily basis. I, I don't know if people who haven't been out there for more than a couple of days at a time understand 
how deeply ingrained the Laker mystique, fandom, adoration. I don't know if people understand how deep-rooted it is. I remember we were out there in the finals one time, and I'm, I, I always think back to us sitting, what were we, four rows back? On, on Game 7, the Lakers-Celtics, when Kobe almost went down in flames before Meta World Peace and the boys rescued him in, in that Game 7 in the finals. This this is the one, I, and I make this joke to my friends all the time who live in L.A., that the only thing, the one unifying factor for Los Angelinos is the Lakers. And at one point, it was Kobe and the Lakers. Like, that was the one thing. I don't care what side of town you went to, you brought up the Lakers you could start a conversation and everybody would want to talk. Um, politics, they might not agree on. Everything else is disputable in L.A. But the Lakers, that for whatever reason, and I'm assuming it's because of the rich texture of their championship history, have always been kind of that unifying thing for the, the fans and, and just people in general in L.A. What has it been like witnessing in L.A. where they're in the midst of the longest drought playoff drought in franchise history like has has there been any cracks in in the foundation of what the Lakers have built over these years based on their futility the past 60s well I'm not going to sound like a seasoned you know uh resident of Los Angeles although <laughs> although given the uh the, the taxes I'm paying and 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 the housing I'm paying I guess I should be an honorary <laughs> member, right? you might as well <laughs> yeah from, from what I understand though the pecking order goes Dodgers, Lakers, then everybody else. Maybe USC football if they're pretty good. Uh, yeah, you, you talk about the Rams and the Super Bowl. They mm-hmm. barely registered a blip. The Lakers were still on the front page of the LA Times during Super Bowl week. Wow. Uh, and 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 not because they were winning either. Um, it, look, when you just when you talk about the Lakers, it's, you'll be hard to find another franchise in sports. And I'm talking football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever that had a succession of larger-than-life players. You can go back to Elton Baylor, Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Maddox Johnson, Kobe, Shaq, and Ron James. There was a pretty sizable gap between Pete Kobe and LeBron James, but still, there's been a succession of larger-than-life, electrifying, water-cooler-type superstars to come in town. So this string has lasted, what, five, six decades now. And so that's one reason why the Lakers, I mean, Los Angeles has this great fascination with the Lakers, because L.A., by and large, first and foremost, is a town built on stars. Simple as that. You know, you've got stars in business, you've got stars in entertainment, and of course, they're going to gravitate to stars in sports. So the Lakers have basically force-fed this appetite for stars. And again, they had, a, you know, some down periods here and there. But even when they were down, they had Kobe, old Kobe, still trying to tough it out and still trying to hang on to his stardom. So I think that that's where the appeal lies, the fact that the Lakers have never disappointed when it comes to, you know, putting someone on the floor who one day will probably have his jersey retired or maybe even have a statue out front of Staples Center. And uh, uh, until they go, until they have a dry spell where they go six, seven, eight years and, you know, you're looking at, you know, some run-of-the-mill, okay, pretty good player, but not a star, I think the Lakers will still be right up there in terms of uh, appeal to the sports fan in Los Angeles. So given that, Sean, in, 
And given Jerry West's decades-old connection to the Lakers, his undeniable link to that franchise, and now with him, you know, ingrained in, in the, what the Clippers are doing, does he even attempt to rattle that cage? Or is this strictly about, hey, we got to build a team from here now, going forward. We can't make up the gap. We'll never be able to, to close that gap in terms of lineage and grassroots connection for people in L.A. with the Lakers. If we're the Clippers, we got to start from now moving forward as opposed to concerning ourselves with the, with the past. Which approach do you take if you're Jerry West trying to build the Clippers? Well, the Lakers are a sensitive subject with Jerry West. He won't even talk about them. Mm-hmm. And because, because they're a sensitive sub- subject, that leads me to believe that at one point, I think he wanted to come back to the franchise and he was kind of stiff-armed. Uh, now, look, I don't know that for a fact. That's just my suspicion. Otherwise, he would have no problem just talking about the good old days. I, I also think maybe one reason why Jerry West wants to see this thing, you know, succeed pretty quickly is Jerry West is getting old. Right. You know, he's not he's, he's not a young man anymore. I think he's, what, 82-ish, right around there. Wow. Uh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a young-looking guy. He's a young-looking yeah. man in his age. Oh, he looks fantastic. But, of course, in L.A., you have to look <laughs> fantastic, Seku. But so I, I think for Jerry West, this is the final act. Um, I think he had success, of course, with the Lakers. He was executive of the year in Memphis, of all places. He went to the Warriors as an advisor and helped them win championships. Remember, he was the guy who stepped in and said, we're not trading uh, Clay Thompson for Kevin Love. And you you can see where that, you know, how that decision turned out. And now he's back, by the way, with an owner I think he loves. I think Steve Ballmer, first of all, Steve Ballmer chased Jerry West. He said, Jerry West is the final piece for our revamped front office, someone we need, okay? And I think Jerry West wanted to feel wanted again. I don't think he felt wanted in Golden State. Mm. But I think with the Clippers, he feels wanted to, to the point where they consulted him on Blake Griffin, and they took his advice. They took his advice. So, look, Jerry West has a lot of pride, a lot of pride there for good reason. Hell of a player, heck of a front office person. He's had the type of dual career that someone would dream of having, okay? And I think at this point in his life, look, he's like everybody else. He wants to feel wanted, and he does with the Clippers, and they're taking their cue from him, and I think they're rolling. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Is it, Sean, would, they, would there be anything sweeter for Jerry West than to beat the Lakers – to the podium for a a finals trophy. Getting a Larry O'Brien for the Clippers, even though deep in his Lakers purple and gold heart, I know he he never would have envisioned assisting them in in getting a championship. But would there be anything sweeter for him now at this stage than beating the Lakers to that punch because of the way he departed that franchise? I mean, it was very well known that he and Phil Jackson didn't have the warmest relationship and that, you know, after Dr. Buss passed away, it, it became clear that there was some kind of fork in the road between Jerry's vision of how to do things and in the bus children's plans for how they wanted to do things. Yeah. Your point is very well made. I think that uh, to come to the Clippers of all organizations, by the way, when Jerry West was, was with the Lakers, the Clippers, Clippers were for long the laughing stock in town, but one of his best friends in life 
is Elgin Baylor. And he hated the way Elgin Baylor was treated by the media. And obviously he hated the way Elgin Baylor was treated by Donald Sterling. I'm not sure if we can mention that name anymore, but there it goes. So for Jerry West to come to the Clippers and sort of, of course, beat the Lakers, obviously, but also to, you know, to in some small way, uh, give a shout out to his close friend, Elgin Baylor. uh, I think that that would just mean a lot to to Jerry. Uh, Look, I'm not going to say it's going to replace the 80s when, you know, he was winning titles with the Lakers and he was on top of the world or anything like that. And I'm not even so sure it would be like LeBron James going back to Cleveland and winning the championship for Cleveland because I just don't think Jerry West had that sort of attachment, historical attachment with the Clippers as LeBron obviously had with the Cavaliers and Northeast Ohio. But I do think it's going to be a measure of redemption. Uh, I, I, I believe. And I also think that there's an unwritten story about his relationship with the Lakers and how that was severed and, and, and how it is right now. Um, you, you know, the, when's the last time Jerry West has been invited back to the Lakers, you know, to be honored, uh, to be part of some sort of gala, uh, you know, halftime celebration, whatever. I can't recall. And I'm not yeah. saying that, an, you know, an invitation hasn't been extended or whatever. He does have a statue out front, so I'm sure, you know, something's right. But um, I, I do think, and, and maybe I'm overstating, you know, the fact it could be, you know, not a great relationship. You know, only he knows, only the Lakers know. But yeah. I do think that, that there's a measure, a measure of redemption there uh, for, for Jerry West to win one more championship, and it would come with the team across town. Yeah. Before we get out of here, I, I did want to discuss the 2019 rookie class with you guys. And Shu, I know we spent so much time talking about Luka Doncic, Trey, you know, Trey Young. I mentioned the Clippers young guys, um, Gilgis, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Landry Shamit. Is this a more robust and impressive rookie group than you realized at draft time? And, and who are some of these other rookies that have stood out to you as the season has gone on? Because I mean, I got a list uh, where I started out with a couple names and now it's grown to five or six other guys who I think uh, are clearly going to be a part of a, of a nice wave in this rookie class in terms of going forward and what they're going to do in the league. Well, I mean, I didn't have any impressions at the draft time because frankly, I didn't know anything about these guys at draft time. So all I'm going off of is what people say about the quality of the draft class. Mm. Um, but I was just looking, I was trying to figure out, you know, who will be my first team all rookie. And I realized it may just be the top five picks. Um, really look, Doncic was number three, Trey Young was number five. I think the next two in line and, you know, competing for maybe the third spot on the rookie of the year ballot, Mm -hmm. um, are DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley, who were one and two. Mm -hmm. And then number four was Jaron Jackson Jr. And I think he's probably right there as, as the fifth best rookie this year, even though he's, he's missed a bunch of games here at the end. So I, 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 I don't think, I don't know if, we've ever had when if that's ever happened first team all rookie being the top five picks but I think it's definitely possible this year I'll say one thing about Bagley Um, he had a terrific game in that Kings Nets game uh, on Tuesday and in the on the possession right before Rondé Hollis Jefferson's wild drive to win the game for the Nets the Kings ran an iso with the tie with the tie game and 20 something seconds left the Kings ran an iso for Marvin Bagley um, which says a lot about him as a rookie and then he drove he got double teamed and he didn't have an outlet because Bielitsa sort of 
crashed in from the weak side. And then, so there was two Kings occupying one spot. And so there was nobody open when he, when he got double teamed, then he lost the ball and, and, and the yeah. Nets got it back. So I, I think it says a lot about him. I think I said once before that I was watching a game and, and the Kings out of a timeout ran a pick and roll with Bagley as the ball handler. It was like a, a Bagley Giles or Bagley Willie Cauley Stein pick and roll or something like that. And so I, I'm, I'm, he, he, he's really intriguing to me. And I think he could be the best or second best rookie out of this class at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think it's fun, kind of fun that the top five picks could be the first team all rookie. Um, I'll say that Colin Sexton is probably the most improved guy from before the all-star break to after the all-star break. Um, but I was really down on him early in the season just because of the shots he was taking and the lack of lack of passing for a, for a point guard. Mm -hmm. The, the one guy, Sean, I would tell people not to forget either who had an abbreviated rookie season is Wendell Carter Jr. If Chicago can sort their things out, they've got a really nice group of young talent kind of in place and he could be crucial to you know, to them getting back to the waterline in the East and potentially something beyond that if he develops the way he's supposed to. But you get to see a couple of rookies in LA on a regular basis. How good is, is Gilligas Alexander, and did, did people maybe sleep on him a little bit in the draft? Well, I had my doubts about him earlier because um, he didn't have his driver's license when he came to uh, – actually, his, his first two months in the league, he got rides to and from practice in the game. And I was like, wait a minute, now. you're going to be in L.A. and not have a driver's license, I have a car. But he has since obtained a United States driver's license. Remember, he's a Canadian. That's right. Canadian. That's right. So I gave, I gave him a pass. But Doc Rivers raves about him. Uh, he feels that he's got an even keel about himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't get rattled. Yes, he's been up and down, and he's had some lapses. And, and you could say that Patrick Beverly is probably this team's best point guard. But I, I think the kid has something. Whether or not he's going to be a star in this league, I can't say that. Uh, right. But he is starting for the Clippers. He's got the faith of a coach who used to be a point guard, a coach who has groomed point guards in the past. Uh, so I think... By and large, he's had a pretty decent rookie season. I also want to throw out, you know, Kevin Herter's playing very well for the Hawks, particularly lately. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's a guy who, uh, you know, they wanted to bring him in to be a shooter, and that's what he's doing. Um, so, uh, you know, got to give a shout-out for him. And, you know, as John said, his top five picks, you know, that's probably your, you know, your all-rookie team. Usually you have a dud in there somewhere right around three or four, whatever. So right. it looks like the general managers of those top five picks got it right. And let me just tell you something. The teams that selected those five plays, they needed to get it right, too. You know, <laughs> and, you know they couldn't afford to. And by the way, a shout-out to Travis Schlant. Since he's come to Atlanta, has he had a dud draft pick? John Collins. No, they've had some good Trey ones. Young. Could argue whether or not, you know, he should have made the trade. I don't think the jury is out on that just yet. But, right. uh, but, but, but you know, not bad. And, uh, you know, Kevin Herter. And he's going to have two number one picks in this upcoming draft. So, you know, the Hawks need – the Hawks can't afford to make a mistake. Now, again, I think if you're asking anybody right now who would you rather take, of course you take Luca. But, you know, Trey Young's playing pretty well, and we got to see what they get with that other pick. Yeah, we talked about D'Angelo Russell at the top, and I think this that buttons it up pretty pretty well. You have to be patient, but you have to have the right kind of talent. And we're going to see how these guys grow. Who knows, what the, who knows which guy emerges in year four, you know, and becomes 
kind of a breakthrough star, makes an all-star team or becomes the kind of player a franchise can lean on to help them move into playoff contention or become a playoff team. It's going to be very interesting to watch the, the growth and development of this rookie class, just like every other. Sean, we, you know, we normally do trivia here on the podcast and um, I know you're busy, but you got to stick around at least for shoes trivia this week. Shoe, what do we got for, for Schumann stat this week? Okay. So speaking of rookies a little bit um, and also, uh, this week is the start of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. So I went look back and looked at former AP players of the year, college basketball players of the year who are in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And there are 11 former AP players of the year who are in the NBA right now. Okay. So we're going to do this a little bit rapid fire. I'm just going to go year by year, mm-hmm. tell you what NBA team they play for and see if you can tell me who they are. All right. All right. So we're, we're going to start with the most recent. So this guy's a rookie. 2018 AP Player of the Year plays for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Brunson. Brunson, correct. 2017 Player of the Year plays for the Sacramento Kings. Frank Mason. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) 2016 Player of the Year. He's on the Chicago Bulls. Mm -hmm. And and see my wording there. He is on the Chicago Bulls. Mm Has not played all season, though. That's a tough one. Oh. Uh, it's been injured all season. 2016. Is it Valentine? Is it a kid from Michigan State? Valentine? Yes. Okay. Denzel Valentine. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I know he's, 2000, I mean, he's good in college. I just, I know. Yeah, yeah. 2015 uh, Player of the Year plays for the Hornets. Uh, Kaminsky? Kaminsky, oh, wow. correct. Okay. Was yes, he the National Player of the Year? Yes. Wow. Yeah, he was a senior. Yeah, he was a senior basketball. For so we've got a bunch Seriously. of seniors here. Mason, Valentine, Kaminsky, all seniors. This guy, next guy, was a senior also. 2014, mm-hmm. uh, currently plays for the Indiana Pacers. 2014? Yeah. Uh, McDermott, correct. Yeah. Ooh. yeah, I remember he was a Player of the Year. 2013. Plays for the Dallas Mavericks. Hmm. Uh, and Seku, you're not having this one. Is oh, you talking about Trey? Trey Burke, oh, yeah, of course. Come on, Correct. I forgot to get traded to the Mavericks for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 2012 AP Player of the Year plays for the Pelicans. Uh, for now, no, oh, oh. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, yes, one of two freshmen on this list, mm-hmm. uh, 2012. 2011 Player of the Year was Jimmer Fredette, no longer in the NBA. 2010 AP Player of the Year plays for the Blazers. This was the uh, John Wall draft class, 2010 huh. AP Player of the Year, plays for the Portland Trail Blazers, bench reserve for the Portland Trail Blazers. Evan Turner. Evan Turner, Turner yeah. right. Yep. Yep. Got about 2009 for the place for the uh, Detroit Pistons. Oh, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin, correct. 2008 uh, Player of the Year is no longer in the NBA. His name is Tyler Hansborough. Uh, 2007 AP Player of the Year plays for the Golden State Warriors. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, right? The other face. Him and Davis are the only two freshmen on the list. And finally, 2006 AP Player of the Year plays for the Sixers. JJ Reddick? Yep, JJ Reddick. There you go. Those are your 11 
current NBA players who were AP players of the year. Not not a smashing endorsement for the Associated Thanks. Press College Player of the Year. The only guys that were number one picks in that group are Davis and Blake Griffin. Yeah, Evan Turner was a number two pick, right? Yeah. yeah so they had and Durant was and Durant number two was pick. Number so they had some high picks, but how many how many how many of those players were weren't even taken in the first round? How many were second round picks? Any of them? Brunson and Mason. Mason. Yeah. Valentine. Valentine was a first round pick, I think. His first round, yeah. Yeah, he was late first round. Kaminsky was yeah. he was a lottery, was a lottery pick. pick. Uh, McDermott. Uh, Trey Burke. Trey Burke was a late was a lottery pick. He was a lottery pick, yeah. yeah. Late lottery. Um, that's interesting, man. I, I never even thought about that shoe. You know, we've had so many one and dones, and, bef- you know, before that, when guys could come straight out, I stopped paying attention even to who was the college player of the year because it was usually an upperclassman who was a really good college player who might not transition into being an elite NBA player, which was fine. Yeah, bro- I mean, you know. yeah, the last two, the last three are Brunson, Mason, and Valentine, yeah. you know, like. Three dudes, junior, senior, senior. Yeah. In fact, the last five are juniors or seniors. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Shu, I got a, I got another suggestion. Find out the final four most valuable player and where they are in the NBA right yeah, that's now. That's a great question. Yeah. Shout out to Sean May. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, shout out to Sean Powell for joining us, Peasy. We appreciate it, man. Always good to talk to you. I'm hoping we'll catch up somewhere in the Western Conference playoffs like we did last year. Um, I'll let you pick the city. It's up to you. You you let us know where we're going because I have no clue. I can't tell who's going to do what in the playoffs on either side. So Well, we know the Lakers aren't going to be there, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, it won't be in L.A. unless the Clippers do, do, do something crazy and go berserk and mow down some people in, in the Western Conference playoffs, man. Sean Powell of NBA.com joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Peasy, we appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you down the road. Anytime. We'll see you later. All right. Shoot, that that was a great question, by the way. That I had, I have not thought about those college AP college players of the year for to save my life. Never even gave them a second thought. Um, um I figured that was more up your alley than the uh, play type, uh, you know, the pick and roll ball handler yes. possessions from from last week. Yes. Yes. Before we go, Shu, um we got one final edition of NBA TV's perfect player. Last week Giannis won for best body and size. So apparently we, we kind of nailed that one. Just to run down the categories that have already been decided by the voters, LeBron has won for most athletic, best basketball IQ, and best vision. Steph Curry is the winner for best jump shot. Kyrie, best handles. Kawhi Leonard, best defender. And as I said, we got one more category to go, and it's best intangibles. And, and this is an interesting category because I don't even know how you how do you evaluate somebody's intangibles. Um, but the the three players listed: Jimmy Butler, Stephen Curry, and LeBron. And you can cast your vote on NBA TV's Twitter account until noon on Friday. Shoe, whose intangibles do you like best? Even though you can't see, feel, or touch them. I mean, we've had this conversation in the last month about like guys who are who come with no baggage who are leadership, who are leaders, who are coachable, who guys want to follow, right? Yeah. And so I look at Jimmy Butler and I'm on that list and I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And to me, it's Steph Curry by far. Like the guy is, I mean, he's everything everything you want out of a franchise player. Agreed. And, you know, LeBron, I mean, has incredible intangibles when it comes to the game. 
Um, but there's some bad. But you're not a fan of the leadership. No, man? I mean, as in in some way, and I think there's multiple aspects to leadership, and in some ways he's got mm-hmm. it. Um, in other ways he doesn't. And the fact that he yeah. sort of take hijacks your franchise a little bit is a de- is a sort of a detriment to his leadership ability, I guess. And so right. Curry is just like you look at these three names. I, I don't see how it's not. Stephen Curry. I mean, it's and and I've brought this name up in the past. It's he's Tim Duncan ish in his sort of yeah. ability to be a great player, but also just be low maintenance and uh, somebody that that guys want to play with and 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 play hard for. I agree. Now, it's of all the categories, and we've had a couple that I thought were were slam dunks in terms of the perfect player for Who nominated Jimmy Butler that category. I don't know. I don't know who does the nominations. I don't have anything to do with it. Uh, it I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have nominated him for intangibles. That's certainly he. That's not the category he'd have made. I mean, he plays hard, uh, right? And he he's he's intense yeah, and like he's but, got a he's got a swagger about him, and I, you you can appreciate that. But yeah, but that's not the category. I'm, that's not even the the realm of discussion I would would include Jimmy Butler in, in terms of his intangibles. He's, he's got a lot of fine qualities that help him, you know, become one of the best players in the league, but intangibles, that's not what I'm thinking. Um, you can vote on NBA TV's Twitter account until noon Friday. We're going with Steph here. I mean, I think it's, it's no doubt he gets both votes here on the hang time podcast shoe. Um, I appreciate it. And, uh, another, you know, interesting week here as we continue to weave our way to the start of the postseason in the NBA. Um, I know you'll be all over it on Twitter. Make sure you follow him at John Schumann, always providing pertinent facts and interesting insights into games and trends and all that good stuff. We'll be back on Monday with another episode here to break down week 23, I believe it is power ranking shoot. We'll also make sure you get a chance to check out the Kia race to the MVP ladder on Friday. See where James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo are in the weekly chase for the Kia MVP. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to hang time on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Shout out to Sean Powell, our West Coast Bureau Chief at NBA.com. For John Schumann, John Hartzell, our producer, and Saseku Smith, we'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.